0: episode number two of Vox. The Mike Erie and Andy Laura now podcast. Why not? Hey, we are so glad that you are here. I feel like saying good morning Vietnam for for those uh, Robin Williams fans uh, out there. Robin Williams. And um, again, we are coming to you live from uh, my home office, which is a, a tiny little hole in the wall. But um, it's been a good week. Ohio State still undefeated. Pearl Jam still awesome. Um, ice cream still too good. Pumpkin pie season is upon us. I am so in. Best time of the year. couple of things before we dive in uh, for today's topic. First of all, holy cow, have we been overwhelmed uh, and so excited. With the response that uh, you all have given to us we 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 beyond our wildest imaginations in terms of the numbers of you that have clicked uh and liked and commented please continue to do that please go to itunes and subscribe leave us feedback let us know what you think um particularly if it's good Um, (laughs) let us know uh, on subversivekingdom.com what you're thinking and then obviously facebook and twitter Everywhere else, Andy. Anything you want to add? October is a big month for Oct- you and I. October is a big month
1: for for two reasons. Uh, one, hockey pumpkin se- pie. Pumpkin pie. The hockey season started. Oh, so for me, that's a big. That's, that's a big deal.
0: I forgot that was a sport. Yes, yeah. hockey season. Okay,
1: <laughs> that's right go ducks oh boy go ducks okay yeah Can but you edit
0: that part out
1: <laughs> i'll I'll, right. I'll edit out the fact that they've lost the first three games so far <laughs> so yeah but uh even more so it is national down syndrome awareness that's Month. what i'm talking about that's right that's right and, and why is that a big deal to you that is a big deal to me because like you i also share a wonderful child with down syndrome sunflower may sunflower may which might be
0: the coolest name ever. So Sunny for short. Sunny for short. How old is Sunny? She is a little bit over two years old. And is it true that you've already committed her in marriage to Seth Erie? Is that true? <laughs> that is That is correct. Okay, that is correct. The dowry, The dowry is already taken the, care of. The,
1: the hair and blue eyes. Blonde, oh. Like these kids are going to look just glorious.
0: That's what I'm talking about. Keep and, them out of the sun. <laughs> and you... Oh my. And you adopted. That's sunny, right. Correct. That's right. I did adopt her, and and a bit of your story's gone, uh, kind of viral in, in internet terms. Where can people hear more about your adoption story for, for uh, getting Sunny into your home? Yeah, yeah. The um,
1: about three months after her birth, when we finally got a chance to actually announce that we adopted her and we could take her on social media once we got through some legal stages, I, I cut together a quick video. Um, of those past three months and just kind of as a, as a way to announce and share with folks that we have done it. And the thing went kind of bonkers. And that particular video has, uh, over 167,000 plays on YouTube yeah. and that's at, uh, youtube.com, uh,
0: slash sunny fun days,
1: sunny with a Y sunny with a Y fun days.
0: That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And the reason we wanted to bring it up and, and for a future uh, podcast, we'll actually spend some time talking more in detail about, uh, our kids is, uh, I don't know. At least, you know, Andy's a bit more heroic. I, uh, We were hoping not to have a child with special needs. We had held off on having a third child precisely because we were terrified of having one with Down syndrome. And so when we found out, of course, that our sweet Seth had Down syndrome, we thought uh, that it was a, a bit, of, um, bit of a surprise from God. Uh, but we've learned so very much. And, and, and both Andy and I, we both desperately and fervently believe that uh, these kids are prophetic witnesses to the, to the fact that human life does not consist in a production and efficiency, that, that mm. against the powers and principalities that measure human life in terms of what you can make, mm-hmm. uh, Sonny and Seth are simple reminders uh, of human life. Um, as it is as exists without all of that social pressure and it is a beautiful beautiful thing oh yeah absolutely it's
1: I mean the the greatest joy for me is just how disarming she is I mean it, it takes you into moments where you think things are just too hard and things are crazy all they want to do is sing and dance and they just let everything just kind of falls
0: off and that's it you know Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Seth Erie when he gets on his little bus every morning just kisses every single kid as he's going down the aisle, and they don't want to be kissed. Yeah, but Seth will kiss them, and I'm <laughs> I'm all in for that. Now, so we'll talk more about that. I've got a couple of questions I want to respond to from last week, as we talked about uh, gay marriage and the church. Um, lots of really really good questions. Got one. My brother texted me. He lives in Northern California, and he said, "Hey, I've got a friend." Who talks uh, endlessly about God and science and has tons of questions and believes the that the Bible and Christians are anti-science and, and those sorts of things. And that that's a great topic for a future podcast, too. I think one of the one of the things I would say is no, not at all do I see Bible and science opposed. I see some of the assumptions behind science, in terms of naturalism and materialism, uh, I see some of those potentially opposed, but in terms of the scientific method, what science has shown us about the universe, my view is the more science shows us about the world, uh, the more it elicits worship uh, from God's people because you simply sit and go, my goodness, this thing is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. I I, I believe the earth is billions of years old. There are lots of people that would disagree with with me on that. I don't think it's a central issue. Uh, regarding the dinosaurs, I don't have the foggiest idea, but um, I, I want you to know, a friend of my brother's, that uh, you don't have to hate science to follow Jesus. I mm-hmm. think Jesus, if, if the whole universe was created by him, for him, and through him, uh, he's a fan uh, of us learning more and more about him. So more to come on that. Uh, another friend of my brother, who is a gay man, um, was sharing just a little bit about how much uh trouble he's had when he's shown up he and his husband have shown up to church services um and uh and have people ask them if they're gay and then ask them to leave immediately and and he wrote uh my brother to write to me he said um great first step uh, this is what he's writing about the first podcast really wants to know if he thinks we choose this lifestyle we don't, or he thinks we're born with it. Also, I'm happy he talked about the double standard of our churches. Really seems to care about us. That's so refreshing. Your brother seems like a great guy, to which I say to my brother, don't ruin it for him. Uh, I'll definitely listen more. Tell him to talk at an LGBT event. Um, and so so to, to that young man, first of all, uh, I, I just want to say I'm so sorry that the church often does not represent jesus well and i'm part of that problem and people get really upset with me when i apologize for the church i just had a guy email in and and just call me an, an arrogant sob for apologizing for the church who am i to think i can apologize for the church well i'm part of the problem and hopefully part of the solution and i wish more of us would apologize for the church so Mm -hmm. you can just go suck an egg mr angry at me man Mm. uh because i i really do think we've sinned against uh, so many of our lgbtq brothers and sisters and part of what we were trying to point out last week isn't that divorced people and remarried people shouldn't be in our churches it's that we've ceased making that an issue when people come into the community and i just want that same sort of standard applied uh to two men or two women or whatever um, as as they come into our community, we've talked a lot about in the church context. What if what if two dads are dropping off a kid? What do you, what do you do in that sort of situation? And the answer has always been, well, unless you're going to start checking marriages and the quality of those marriages at the door before you accept kids, then what you're going to do there is you're just going to say, hey, we're glad you're here. We're grateful to serve your kid. Uh, and that's really kind of what we're driving at, that, that uh, there, there do exist uh, these double standards that we want to repent of, and, uh, and we also want to just recognize and confess uh, publicly. So the first thing I'd say is I'm just so sorry that that's been your experience. Second thing I would say is I've talked to folks, uh, and I don't know, I was, I was born with a desire uh, for sexual attraction to women. I didn't choose that. I was born with that. And so my experience can't really allow me to speak into a question like that. Uh, It's only as I talk to people like you and and others that I, I gain sort of an awareness. So I've talked to some people for whom uh, same-sex attraction was a choice. They've literally said, I was engaged. This is a literal conversation. I was engaged to be married to a woman. I'm now in love with a man. I am choosing that. I don't have to do that, but I want to do that. Uh, a young lady uh, and I had a very similar conversation. She had been engaged earlier, had a really bad experience with religious authority figures uh, and at that point chose to never, uh, to be with a man ever again i've also talked to people who experienced same-sex attraction because they were abused um and i'm not saying any person you know describes the whole category but i've talked to uh, one of my dear friends in college was a young man who'd been sexually abused and as a result experienced same-sex attraction and then i've talked to lots of folks like you bro who have Just simply said, I did not choose this. I did not want this. I asked God to remove this. It has cost me family. It has cost me friends. And uh, so I I don't believe that it's always a choice. I don't believe that it's always uh, inborn. I I believe that every story is unique, and I'm not going to categorically say it's nature, nurture, or otherwise. um, Because I, I do believe there are people out there for whom this was no decision. This was uh, an orientation, an attraction, however you want to describe it, from their earliest conscious sexual moments. And, um, and so, so I hope you continue dialogue with my brother. You're gl- I'd be glad to dialogue with you too. Hope that clarifies just a little bit. And then one last, one last uh, question. I think it's a good one. And then we'll get to the topic. And, and by the way, give us feedback in terms of um, how we can do this better. I, I don't want to get all... All preachy, but it feels like I'm on the radio and just, it's just so weird, but I love it. It's weird. So, uh, this is a friend. This is a friend sending me a comment he got from somebody. So, uh, this somebody writes to my friend, do you know what? I disagree with most on Mike's take on the gay thing. The overwhelming majority of people in the church understand their sinful nature. Only the most ignorant of the congregation doesn't. Mike makes it seem like we all don't understand our sinful nature. The problem that exists in the gay community is not only they deny that it is sin, but they actually promote it. None that understand whatever our sin nature is are fighting for its acceptance. None of us who understand truly what sin is are fighting for its acceptance. Nowhere in scripture do you find that to be Christ-like. That's what Mike fails to address while he points out our supposed hypocrisy. And it's not supposed, by the way. I am a sinner. I did not ask the church to accept it. I asked for prayer, forgiveness, and help. Not to force all society and the church to accept it. Christ would not, does not accept my sin. Would never suggest that God will either without repentance. I've never seen a murder, adulterer, thievery, or drug addict pride parade. Of course, gays should feel safe in the church. Never enabled, though. Mm-hmm. So a couple of thoughts uh, in response. First of all, um, we're not talking about enabling anything. We're talking about being kind and decent the way that Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And the way that we have drawn a a, a line of differentiation between how we treat some sinners and how we treat supposed other sinners. And that as long as that double standard exists, I think the gay community is right to point out the hypocrisy in the church. So, So the fact that divorced people can come in without qualification, questioning, looks, or footnotes. And that two dads or two moms cannot just simply suggest that we need a bit of recalibration we're not talking about enabling anything we're just talking about the fact that Jesus fronted love when it came to people that's the point of the podcast today it's grace before truth baby that's Mm -hmm. the point it's not grace and truth it's grace before truth it's kindness that leads to repentance it's not law that leads to repentance the second thing I would say is that I don't think Christians have a great awareness of their sin because they spend so much time judging each other's. I really don't. How many sermons have you heard on greed as opposed to how much talk is there about sexuality and homosexuality, right? 2,000 passages on greed. The American church is the wealthiest church in the history of the planet. It also is the least charitable church in the history of the planet. And we're going to spend all our time worried about the gay agenda. I just think, nope, nope. I find it ironic, in a very sad sense. That many of the sins that we talk about aren't the sins we ourselves struggle with. So people keep, you know, after this first podcast, people keep saying, hey, when are you going to talk about the sin of homosexuality? And And what I want to say if I were sitting across from somebody is, all right, I'll be glad to talk about that as soon as we talk about yours. So what's your sin? then let's preach against that, let's crusade against that, and then we can do somebody else's, right? And so I I feel like the, the claim that we deeply understand our sin nature, I think is false because if you deeply understand your sin nature, then you also deeply understand Jesus's command that you're to regard the sin of other people as a speck of dust and your sin as a two by four. So your posture in the world is to assume that you are the worst sinner in the room. That's what it means to really understand your Mm -hmm. sin nature. Mm -hmm. And I don't hear that. I just hear, well, yeah, yeah, we're sinners, but at least we don't push it. B.S. B.S. Greed is pushed and pride is pushed and infidelity is pushed. I mean, come on. You really can't love somebody if they have an agenda? That's just not true. Jesus didn't look at the centurion and say, hey, man, I disagree with the Roman agenda, but I'll heal your servant. That's not how it works. And then the, the last thing. Uh, I would I would simply say is this. Um, when you say that I'm a sinner, I did not ask the church to accept your sin, uh, and you would not ask God to do that, I would say, okay, but you certainly ask the church to accept you as a mm-hmm. sinner mm-hmm. and accept that you were in process and accept that you didn't have it all figured out from the very beginning stages. And that's the double standard. That's the double standard. You're not willing to extend that same grace to somebody else even if they don't think they're sinful because at some point you didn't either so that's my two cents (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of a dollar (laughs) oh my goodness i know all right so with that let's get into this idea of grace before truth right because it's it's totally relevant to these conversations how can we love somebody we don't agree with well, I always, I always want to say, well, you do that with you all the time, right? We love ourselves, and I don't agree with half of what my desires uh, are leading me to. I mean, I love ice cream too much. Oh, and by the way, I had a great woman ask me uh, on Facebook, hey, when are you going to talk about gluttony? And the reason for that should be obvious, because it's my sin, <laughs> all right? So we're going to talk about <laughs> other sins first. Um, all right, so let's talk about grace before truth. Now, one of the things, uh, when we get to the life and ministry of Jesus, is uh, that there's a bit of background required, and, and for some of you that have, have uh, you know, followed our, our teaching or whatever, you'll, you'll recognize some of this. But the big, big deal in the first century, Andy, was what do we do about Rome? The, how do these godless pagans How are they oppressing God's people, right? We're back in the promised land. We should be free. We're God's chosen people. And what do we do with these pagans? And not shockingly, there were all sorts of disagreements uh, within the Judaisms of the day about what to do with that. So you had different groups advocating different strategies. So you would have kind of a collaboration strategy, right? With some of the priestly classes. The priests back in Jesus' day uh, were were normally assigned by Rome. And so you have the the temple system, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership uh, in in a high collaborative mode. They were growing wealthy. They had power. So on the one hand, you had collaboration. On the other hand, you had provocation. You you had a, a group called the fourth philosophy, later known as zealots, who thought that provoking Rome into open warfare would allow God to intercede in a war type way to deal with the Roman problem in Israel. And so you've got collaboration, you've got provocation, and both of those groups, the zealots uh, and the priestly classes, thought the issue was political. There was another set of groups that thought the issue was spiritual. So you have a group like the Essenes who went into the desert and advocated separation. They, they just separated out completely from culture and, and dedicated themselves to ritual purity in the hope that when God would come, he would reward the sons of light and punish the sons of darkness. They, of course, were the sons of light. But then you have, so you have collaboration, provocation, separation, uh, but then you have the Pharisees who also advocated separation, but in a different kind of way. The Essenes moved their culture entirely out uh, of first century Israel kind of urban or rural life. The, uh, the Pharisees, the, 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 the well-known of, of Jesus' the most well-known of Jesus's opponents, they advocated separation, but doing so within Jewish culture. So they didn't leave Jewish culture. They advocated separation within it. Now, to understand the Pharisees, uh, it's, it's incredibly important because of, of the point we're going to make in about 10 minutes from now. So a bit of background on the Pharisees. First of all, the Pharisees, their, their name comes from the idea of being separate. So even the word Pharisee has within it this idea of, of separation. But their theology was that the most important thing about god and therefore the most important thing about god's people was to be holy so leviticus be holy as i am holy says the lord that was their main text for what the calling of israel was to be in the world so what do they what was their answer to how do we deal with rome simple be holy now what does be holy mean Right? Because that's kind of a weird word you don't always hear. To be holy meant two things. Negatively, it meant to be separate from everything that is unclean and defiling. Positively, it meant to be super zealous and the adherence to the law, the 613 commands of Torah, and then the oral traditions that grew up around the 613 commandments of Torah. So we're talking about hundreds, if not thousands, of different commands, rules, regulations, and so on that the Pharisees advocated. So, so... For them to be holy was the answer. What did being holy meant, uh, mean? It meant to be separate from anything that makes you unclean or defiles you. But secondly, it meant to be, uh, positively devoted to the strictest of obedience. So, how do you be holy in real life? Well, you stay away from everything that's unclean. You build fences. So, if if for instance one of the law was hey one of the laws was hey don't approach the black table in the middle of the room they would build a law that says, don't come within five feet of that table or don't come within 10 feet or don't even go into the house where the room is. And so you you just have this monster piling on of rules, regulations, and commandments. But the point, and this is often missed when we talk about the Pharisees, the Pharisees had the same goals as Jesus of Nazareth. The Pharisees wanted Israel to repent. They wanted to call Israel to repentance. And the way that they did that was by separating themselves and advocating a strict ritual purity. Now, one of the ways this played out... Andy, are you still with me?
1: I am with you. I am tracking. What was the
0: name of the band you played last week that you were singing? Because there's two, and there's one that's a lot heavier that you did not put in there. I did not put that in there. (laughs) Okay, and that was called Takoda. Nope. The band, okay.
1: Last week we played a clip from Takoda. Dakota. Yes. That which would is be, not a
0: truck. We clarified.
1: That is, that is not a that truck. That is clear. Right. It is t- supposedly a, a utopian community. Whoa. Somewhere.
0: Dakota. Okay.
1: <laughs> it, would you like me to play a clip from the other
0: Oh, I would. Band? I would. Okay. This is, guys, this is Thrash. This is Andy. <laughs> this is some of you will turn your car stereos down right now. Uh, some of you will cover your ears. Children will go running. It'll Letter, be beautiful. So letters here, will be written. Yes, yes. Andy Laura at Yahoo. Um, so, so here it is, just to to break up the little monotony of the Pharisees. Here it is. This is a, Andy Laura with yeah, Nightfall.
1: Yeah, this is this is a clip from uh, from my former band Nightfall. Here you go.
0: That's what I'm talking about. See, I didn't know. I didn't know there was Christian music out there like that.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, well, actually, we weren't even a Christian band. But the the actual like Christian hardcore scene itself has farly progressed from there. And I mean, so it's it's so, big. It's so really big. you
0: guys never made it on the fish, is no. what you're saying? No. Okay.
1: That, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> now, back to Pharisees. Pharisees, bring it. Pharisees, the the way they applied their zeal for holiness, uh, one of the ways they applied it is through uh, how they ate meals. One of the things that, that gets Jesus into trouble is what Jesus does at mealtime. And to understand why Jesus gets in trouble, you have to understand for the Pharisees, the meals were absolutely, meal times were absolutely critical for the project of being holy. And, and that meant, and there were reasons for that. One is um, at the end of the age, very often, Uh, The pictures of God eating a banquet with his people. So mealtimes look forward to the end of the age. But mealtimes also embodied holiness. And so the way that you would do that if you were a Pharisee, mealtimes meant that you avoided anything that could cause uncleanliness. So you had to tithe your food properly. You you had to clean uh, and wash your hands, the implements. You had to prepare the food properly. You had to eat it in certain places and not others. And you could only eat with certain kinds of people, people that were clean, that would not defile the home and therefore the meal. And so there were all sorts of uh, unwritten and unwritten rules based on the traditions of the elders and written in the law. In the Old Testament, there were strict instructions about how priests would eat the sacred offerings at the temple. And the Pharisees argued that, hey, in Exodus, doesn't it say that Israel's a nation of priests? Well, shouldn't we all be eating like the priests do in the temple? And so they advocated a very, very strict way of eating. It wasn't just kosher. It was kosher on steroids. Hmm.
1: I don't think I'd go to that dinner.
0: No, seriously. <laughs> and, and, but, but, it, but somebody who reads the Gospels will see that Besides Sabbath, the thing that gets Jesus into the most trouble is what he does at mealtimes, who he welcomes, who he eats with, what he does. In fact, mealtimes were so significant uh, to to, uh, the rabbis. Um, 229 of the 341 rabbinic traditions attributed to the Pharisees and later writings have to do with table fellowship it the, i can mm. i cannot overemphasize how huge table fellowship was for the Pharisees it was central to keeping Rome out of Israel it was central to having the Messiah come back it was central to freeing Israel from uh, the Hellenistic and corrosive influences of Roman government and culture so this was a huge deal so Jesus of course I love this so here we are we're in Luke chapter 5 after this Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi 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 your jeans wearer uh he was sitting at his tax booth now instantly you read about someone sitting at their tax booth back in the first century tax booth people were hated these were jewish people the the way taxation worked in in uh in jesus's days you would pay uh, tribute to Rome. You had temple taxes, you had various offerings and so on. It was crazy, crazy system of taxation. But like if you were a fisherman and you were traveling from one region to another region, uh, when you crossed over into a new region, you would have to pay a tax. You'd have to give some of the fish, some of the crops, some of the money. And, and you do this every time you went from region to region to region. And, and there would be toll collectors stationed along all of the, the highways and the byways of ancient Israel. So this is levy, Levi. Levi. Uh, He's sitting there Jesus comes up to him and and says to to him uh, follow me Jesus said to him Uh, and Levi got up left everything and followed him now now this isn't a tax collector is the equivalent of let's say let's say you lived in Nazi occupied France and you found out and you were Jewish and you found out that one of your Jewish countrymen or women was selling you out to the Nazis right the only person you would hate worse than the nazis were the jewish folks that were selling you out to them well this is a bit of what it would have been like to have jesus invite a tax collector uh in fact uh, tax collecting was the equivalent the 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 rabbis would rank occupations and, and it was the lowest occupation tied i kid you not with dung collector Hmm. So dung collectors, dung collectors were the equivalent of tax collectors. There was a higher category called sinner. Hmm. Uh, and, and notice um, the Pharisees are always mentioned separately. So it's always tax collectors and sinners right. or tax collectors and others. Right. I, so, can I ask you
1: something real fast? Yes. Um, one, something that I came to understand about the invitation to follow Was that a verbiage used by Pharisees as when you, once you went through bar mitzvah, then you were then to enter into priesthood, the the language was now follow me. And that was like the next level of teaching and training to then come into priesthood. Whoa. Is that... I Is don't that know. correct of understanding? I actually got this. If I remember, I mean, you know, for what it's worth, I think Rob Bell wrote about this in Velvet Elvis. To understand, like, why that invitation was so dramatic was because otherwise, if you didn't go into priesthood, you went into then whatever job. You weren't good enough to go into priesthood, so you weren't invited to follow. So Jesus to come along and say, follow me was a big deal for fishermen, for tax collectors, because it was like... I'm being invited to, to basically become and follow into. You some... just quoted Rob Bell. I did on this just podcast. quote Rob Bell on this oh my podcast. Goodness. Well, <laughs> we know what will be answered next week. Yeah, I, I'd, love, I'd love to know <laughs> what, what we got on that. So I, 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 I don't love know that idea. Specifically.
0: Emotionally, I love that. Okay. All right. As long as you like it emotionally, is. we'll call it true. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, if that was a, a standard rabbinical formula to follow me. Uh, wouldn't shock me that mm-hmm. that it is, okay. uh, because it seems to be shorthand. I mean, I'm sure Jesus said more than just the two words to his disciples. Yeah, you know, maybe they had some prior knowledge of him or or something. I mean, obviously he'd grown up around the region, so I don't know if they'd known him in a prior sense and seen him around, but it, so it wouldn't shock me, Andy, okay. but um, you're the musician here. Yeah. Uh, let me do the heavy lifting. Uh, That's and right. Rabbinical, no, I'm just teasing. Right. All right. <laughs> so, so it is a staggering invitation regardless. And Levi got up, left everything, followed him. Now, this is where it gets good. And if you've been patient with us so far, I'm trying to learn how to do a podcast because it can't be a sermon, although that's kind of what I'm used to. Uh, So we're trying to make this a bit more conversational, but I just can't help myself sometimes. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, who are the only friends tax collectors have? other tax collectors. So, of course, it's a house full of tax collectors. Now, there were, there were parts uh, of later rabbinical teaching that said, if a tax collector enters your house, everything in it is unclean. Okay, so you you could not pick a scummier crew uh, of a of, of villainy, in, uh, in, in Obi-Wan Kenobi's words, uh, into the first century Pharisee mind. So it's not surprising uh, when the pharisees and the teachers of the law belong to their sect saw this they complained to his disciples and said why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners jesus answered them it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick i've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance now oh my goodness we can see a little bit of why the pharisees would be so bad out of shape right if the future if uh, if the current meals are to picture the future banquet of God's uh, you know, coming back to restore the earth and, and Israel then you cannot have a banquet of tax collectors. <laughs> That's just not how, to the Pharisee mind, this would work. Secondly, Jesus is violating all sorts of holiness codes by, by not eating uh, with people that are unclean. I'm sure the food's unclean because of that, and the way they're eating, it's unclean. And this was a banquet. This was not a little dining room, soiree. This was something that the public would have noticed, that the village, wherever Jesus was, would have noticed. And so, of course, the Pharisee's are gonna be all bent out of shape about this because Jesus was threatening the core of the Pharisee project, which was, how do we deal with Rome? Mm-hmm. And so, you, you've got the Essenes that advocated separation culturally, but you have the Pharisees that advocated separation almost spiritually or morally or ethically. And then you have Jesus. So, instead of collaboration, provocation, instead of separation, Jesus advocates association and uh, and, and it's one of those things that, yeah, 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 of course Jesus eats with sinners. No, 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 no. There's no modern equivalent for how scandalous this would be. Imagine if after 9-11, uh, you saw pictures of Jesus eating with members of the Taliban. Uh, imagine uh, after the Supreme Court ruling, Jesus is eating with members of the gay rights lobby. Uh, imagine, I mean, take the most... Uh, crazy take the craziest picture you can find of you know a, a, a guy that makes porn films who's a drug dealer who supplies terrorists and have jesus eat with that person and go to that person's party that's kind of what we're talking about when jesus is at a tax collector's house and, and the reason he says association the reason he gives that answer is he says listen where where do doctors go where do they go Right, they don't just hang out in offices, they actually either let sick people come to them or they go where the sick people are. And so Jesus frames his whole calling, I've not come to save the righteous, which is what the Pharisees thought they were, but to sinners. Now sinners, the Pharisees used the word sinner to describe anybody who did not agree with the Pharisees' program. So it didn't matter if you were rich or poor, if you were not observant in the ways the Pharisees taught observing then you are considered a sinner. And Jesus simply says, no, it's not you who think you're righteous that I've come to save, but it's all you think are unworthy that I've come to save. Mm -hmm. So here's the big point. Andy and America, as you're listening, here is the big point. For Jesus, Jesus and the Pharisees both wanted israel to repent remember judgment always starts with the people of god and jesus's project was to call israel the people of god back to being israel the way god intended to be a light to the nations to be salt to the earth to be a magnet where the people people who did not know the one true god would come and worship the one true living god but they'd ceased being that and so jesus comes and his first first and highest priority is to call israel back into being israel now the pharisees had that same priority but how did they do it they did it by separating themselves they were in culture but not of culture is what they would say Mm -hmm. jesus comes and jesus associates with sinners he table fellowship in those days sharing a meal with somebody uh connotated acceptance kinship of sharing of status that jesus would share the status of tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners i mean it's absolutely unfathomable and you can hear the pharisees in the background going now jesus you can't eat with a tax collector and not think have them not think you're condoning the behavior Hmm. right and that's why i think jesus would go to a gay wedding I, i i absolutely think that because first of all I think Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, he confronted people and challenged them to abandon their own agendas and embrace his. So I think Jesus, for the sake of calling people into repentance, I think Jesus would go anywhere where there were sinners and hearts that were open to him. So would would he go to a gay wedding? Absolutely, he would go to a gay wedding. How do I know that? Well, look at the people he ate with. See, Jesus offered love up front. He fronted love. He gave grace before truth. It was kindness that led to repentance. Mm-hmm. See, and that's what we flip that around, so many of us in the American church, and yours, yours truly here at the head of that table, where we, we and, and this isn't biblical at all, where we say, I've got to let you know I disagree with you before I love you. Nowhere. Nowhere does Jesus do that except with the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Woe to you! And he calls them uh, unmarked graves and he calls them whitewashed tombs. and I mean, just all this you know, nest of vipers. He has the hardest words for them. And so people will ask me all the time, well, how come you bag on the church so much? Because I love it. Because I'm part of the problem and Lord willing, part of the solution. And I think if Jesus were here, he would not be slamming the gay agenda or whatever you want to call it. He'd be thoroughly addressing and rebuking the church. Why? Because we've ceased being the people of God in the way that Jesus would have the people of God. Because you front grace. You front it. You don't, nowhere does it say you have to tell people you disagree before you can love them. Nope, you just love them. End of story. If they're your neighbor, you love them. If they're your enemy, you love them. If if, if they're like you, you love them. If they're not like you, you love them. You love them scandalously and utterly. And so Jesus was able to hold intention, something American Christians and myself were not able to hold intention, namely to summon everyone to repentance and followership of him while at the same time loving so indiscriminately the religious people were scandalized in the first century. And you know, you know, the Pharisees were going like, if you go to there, they're going to think you approve. Mm -hmm. So evidently it's possible to participate in something without condoning it because Jesus did it all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we've lost this idea of love without background checks. We've lost this idea of love without <laughs> without footnotes or buts or exclusion clauses. Mm. And uh, I just, I, I feel like I get so passionate about this because Jesus never crossed and it came across somebody like this a centurion and and had to let the centurion know about how much he disapproved of the Roman agenda for healed a servant, like we said, or, or t- the tax collector Zacchaeus in Luke 19. He didn't say, yeah, I want you to know, I really disapprove of your exploitive practices. I think the purity of Jesus was so powerful that people just knew. It's like when you get me around somebody who's a really good athlete, they don't have to say anything. I just I just know they have something I don't have, right? They're in real good shape. They eat kale, which is awful. And and I just am like, I'm totally indicted just by them being there. They don't have to say a word. And I think that's just what Jesus was like. He was so compelling to people far away from God because he fronted grace. It was grace before truth. And so, so brothers and sisters, I feel like, there's anything we can begin to do to embody and proclaim the uh, agenda and gospel and kingdom nature of Jesus, it it begins here. It begins by thinking, and we're going to talk about this more in future episodes. It begins by thinking that I'm the biggest sinner in the room. My sin is a speck of dust compared to someone else's. No, 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 no. My sin is a plank compared to someone else's speck of dust. Mm. And, and that we lead with grace. We lead with grace. We lead with acceptance. We lead with commitment to somebody, regardless of whether or not they change. We're seeking their flourishing. That's what love is, to seek the benefit and flourishing. Now, I can hear the voices already. Well, there has to be a time when you tell them it's not healthy. And it has to be a time when you tell them it's wrong. And it has to be a time when you tell them it's sinful. What is it in us that makes us rush to that? Hmm. What makes us rush to that? Uh, i get it i mean yes we'll talk about judgment and there are times and yes there are even times to be separate i mean there are things i can't go participate in because they'll cause me to stumble so sometimes separation is absolutely true but i find that that's most often the default mechanism when my brother's friend comes into church and they say hey are you gay the 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 better response is man we're so glad you're here and never ask them if they're gay i mean mm-hmm. w- w- what is that hey are you divorced hey are you sleeping uh, inappropriately with someone other than your spouse are mm-hmm. you having premarital sex have you an abortion i mean what kind of th- wait no! no 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 we front grace it is god's kindness that leads us to repentance and that's how god treats us this is the gospel before you get cleaned up before you get figured out before you get your doubts taken care of jesus loves you died for you pursues you, wants to be in relationship with you. I mean, that's the gospel. Why do we punt that and instead settle for some sort of moral superiority? I don't know. It's in my heart, and I don't mean to come across as harsh to myself and the Pharisees among us, but doggone it, man. Imagine somebody like my brother's friend who, who were welcomed in the church community, who began to see the beauty and majesty of Jesus and what Jesus could do, someone's life because Jesus does call everyone to repentance right I mean no one no one gets to pre-negotiate the terms of surrender to Jesus Jesus called everyone to abandon everything to follow him and that hasn't changed this is what Jesus does end of story he calls everyone to repentance the issue is how he does it and who he scandalizes in so doing mm-hmm. and so I, I think brothers and sisters there's a good word in there for us that it's grace before truth, the same way that God has loved us, are there are there points where we have conversations? Of course, are, are there points where we where we may disagree over things? Well, well of course, that's how relationships relationships work. But if you're ever wondering, you front grace. I just read there's a huge Christian leader, uh, a very very public notable figure that said boycott all gay weddings, even family members. Um. And I didn't read the article. I just saw the headline and went, What? I could not disagree with that person more. That's the Pharisee Project. That's the, we can't love you because we don't agree with you. Mm. That is absolutely anti Jesus. It is anti Christ. I'm telling you, that is anti Christ. Mm. And there are loads and loads of people who will not even give Jesus a moment of time because the church is so ridiculous when it comes to this stuff. So if you're here and you're like, Hey, should I go to a gay wedding? I don't want to condone it. <laughs> go preserve the relationship be a blessing offer a toast for crying out loud no one's going to assume that you're there that you're all into it i mean just and it's god who sees the heart anyway so who are you trying to impress or judge right god knows whether or not you're condoning it god knows whether or not you're into it i mean come on all right rant over andy (laughs) how do we how do we wrap up after that holy moly now you have shared with me that we've got some sweet uh, outro music. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> yeah, we're stoked this
1: week. We got um, we want to give a big uh, shout out and thank you actually to our friends Roa Summit. From Costa Mesa, California. Nice. They have uh, graciously granted uh, permission to allow us to use some of their, their music and tunes for our intro and outro music. And so they're that, really good. And they're really good. And that's what you heard at the beginning of the show. You'll hear it here in a minute uh, as we wrap up at the end of the show. But, um, yeah, just to, to further uh, further plug them, um, yeah, go to com slash shop. Spell it. R-O-A-H Summit. Yep. S-U-M-M-I-T. Yep. Dot com slash shop. Buy their record there. That's how you support bands best. iTunes is great, but if you buy direct from band, they actually get the money. And um, I've, always, I've
0: always said that. It's
1: a way to go. Buy merch, my go records, to their shows. My
0: record's coming.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, the song uh, played this week on the podcast is uh, Giant from the Giant EP, recently released in, I think, in the past month. But nice. I've had it on repeat. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, so thank Love you, it. Rose Summit. We appreciate you guys.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, uh, actually Jay the drummer yeah he's on uh, one of the worship teams at ev Free. so nice. yeah amazing dude. He's also dating my graphic
0: designer whoa whoa so, whoa whoa hey oh hey someone checking on them <laughs> so yeah thanks a lot guys I really appreciate that and yep so if you want to continue this conversation and obviously gang one of the one of the hard things is that you can never say everything and I will we will hit stop and I will think of 48 things I should have said better more carefully or should have anticipated but there's something about just getting it out there and getting it started and again the goal isn't that you would agree with me at all I deeply believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the hope of the world I, I do I think he is the most compelling figure in human history I think he's not a figment of our imagination I think the good news is that he pursues us and um, regardless of where we come from and so What does it mean to follow him best in our world? That's the question that I just wrestle with over and over and over, particularly when it comes to the LGBTQ community. What does it look like to love them well? Um, and, uh, And so anyway, we appreciate all the feedback. Keep pouring it in, guys. We read everything and we take it all to heart. So bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Till next time, brothers and sisters. Bye. Thanks for
1: listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com
0: for further engagement and information about Mike.